From Hypebeast Radio, I'm Mikey Dabb, and you're listening to The Hype Report. Today, we discuss the 2020 Oscar winners, Jerry Lorenzo's Iverson-inspired editorial, Goat's partnership with an upcoming NBA star, a destroyed artwork at the Zona Maco Fair, and fall winner's biggest shoe trend for 2020. It's Saturday, February 15th. Hey, this is Isaac Rouse, associate editor for Hypebeast, and we are talking about the 2020 Oscars. Uh, yes. Yes, uh... Pretty big deal. We've got so many like high contenders for like, you know, several categories. I feel like walked away with the right amount of awards, the best picture award. You watched like it? I did. I feel like it deserved it. Okay. I- we had this conversation a little while ago. <laughs> we, we had this conversation for the best movies at the end of the year. Um, Parasite ended up in there, I think, justifiably. Yeah. Justifiably. Storyline was good. Cinematography was good. I, I enjoyed the entire movie. I'm not a big subtitle guy, but it was one of those things where it felt like I wasn't even reading subtitles yeah, the way through the movie. So for sure. uh, that's how enveloped I got into the actual movie itself. Well, I mean, you also have to look at the the competition. They had Four versus Ferrari. They had Jojo Rabbit, Little Women, Marriage Story, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. While those are all good films in its own right, I feel like Parasite of what was chosen out of those bunch are, is probably the best pick. Out of that bunch, I've only seen two. Really? I mean, I haven't seen 1917. It's just, like, not my type of flick. Like, yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, I think yeah. Dunkirk really ruined it for me. Really? Really ruined, like, any any kind of war story. I'm just over it. Why? Like, was it not uh, a good movie to you? You nah. Really? Nah. All right. Yeah, I, I did find it interesting. You know, I didn't expect the Irishman to walk away with Best Picture, but the fact that it didn't walk away with anything at all was kind of shocking to me. I feel like Netflix is kind of after, after snubbed. After giving... The Irishman a little bit more consideration. Oh yeah, that's right. You were. Um... I was. I was definitely like, oh, this is not good. Not the performance the second time around is definitely a little bit more captivating. I will say that Al Pacino, Hoffa, kind of he kind of hooked me a little bit. I'm not gonna lie to you. Oh yeah. Not, not as De Niro. I really didn't. I wasn't really crazy about either time. Yeah, I think uh, he plays like the straight kind of like uh, he's just carrying the narrative. He, he's carrying the narrative very well, but he, he doesn't. He doesn't falter from the character either. Yeah. Like he's always on point with that character's emotional output, yeah. which is, you know, I, I can kill or I can not kill. Yeah, he just feels like a tool to the story that yeah. the Jimmy Hoffa and, like, um, the Joe Pesci, I Pe- his character. Pesci? Pesci? Kinda, he's my favorite part of the movie. Pesci kind of killed it. Yeah, he's my favorite. After, like, uh, I had to, like, really sit back and be like, okay, I'm not going to hate on this. I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to watch it to feel like this is I, a blank sheet. I gave it a blank sheet. Yeah. And... Pesci was fire. I, I, I got to say, like, he he had a very good performance. But at, at that same token, just like how I feel with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it feels like a greatest hits of great directors. Mm. And so, like, while that's great, like, great greatest hits, you're always down for the greatest parts of some of the greatest actors. It's not really offering anything of substantially new or what we haven't seen before. And with Parasite, I feel like movies for 2019 were really big on, like, society. Mm. People are gravitating towards like movies talking about society, and that's why I feel like like movies like Joker and even Parasite here kind of like captured people, especially this year, just on a civilization critique kind of thing. Yeah, I, I get where you. I please don't mention Joker. <laughs> I would prefer if you did that. I uh, I don't like what's going on with the awards. Which uh, uh, uh that one for uh what was that uh, best actor? Which is, I think is justifiable. 
that's I've always felt like that's the best part of the movie. That's what makes the movie. Is I'm not just even making Joaquin eye Phoenix. contact with you. I'm not even gonna look up. I mean, if it, like that's the thing. If Joker won off the merit of like the film, like best director or like you know a best picture or something like that, then I would share that gripe because I don't feel like the film is as a film worthy of those kind of accolations. Whereas. The actual performance, which is what carries the movie to me. Okay. That's what is the movie. Everybody says Joker is great. I think Joaquin is great. I think Joker is just a platform for him to be great. I, I think that they could have, again, again, Joaquin Phoenix could have played Jerry, whatever, last name, Jerry Smith. And it could have been the same storyline without, you know, him being a clown. He could have worked in refrigerators. I mean, he climbs in a refrigerator at some point. That's what I'm saying. So like, I, you, you get what I'm saying, though. Like, it doesn't have to be the Joker. Like, you took a a cartoon, something that a comic, yeah, and you made it into this real life thing. It, it almost destroys the Joker for me. Well, yeah. I mean, as a character, like what I wanted personally was a character study on the actual Joker. I thought the film was called Joker. I thought we were going to delve into the character as we know him mm-hmm. and kind of dissect who he is and why he is. No, they did that. No, they dissected some guy named um, Arthur Fleck, <laughs> who at the end of the movie put on some makeup because he killed some guys in a subway car and inspired a revolution in the city he was in, which that's a cool story, too. What, what, which is, again, a reason why it didn't have to be about the comic character, the Joker. Like, but, but that, that's that, the hook, and that's, the, that's, that's what catches the attention, and, and that's the, 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 the name. Like, the, the role itself now is such a like acclaimed role. So, like, even if it wasn't about Joker, if, if you slap the name Joker on it, it means several things for the movie. It means several things for the part, who's playing the part, and it becomes this huge thing. If it was just... Todd Phillips doing this thing, nobody really would have cared. It wouldn't have got any attention at all. Two it could things. have been the same movie. Two things. What are the several things? What do you mean? It, 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 several things. You said several things. What are the what are the several things? Well, I'm, I'm just blowing you up right now because <laughs> you're talking about the movie and like things that it, it created, like a snowball effect. Please. Oh yeah, all the news traction that it got. Basically, yeah. it's like you know, okay, Joker. That's that's the news, but then it's also like the latching onto it of fans, the whole insult thing. Like I said, the Dark Knight has made the Joker role into such this huge, like important thing. Even if you go back to like Jack Nicholson, even like that was a big deal. Like Jack Nicholson stepping into the role, I think he made the role kind Dance of with like, the devil in the pale moonlight. Like, yeah, let's not play games here. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Know the history. He set the standard in this realm of movies or this award ceremony for movies. They gave Joaquin Phoenix this award, I think, off the strength of Heath Ledger. Yeah. I think off the strength of Joker. And it gave Todd Phillips a way to address social issues without addressing social issues. Contemporary social yeah. issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is my whole thing on, like, that's, that's like, the main push, I feel like. If you're going to come for him, come for him. <laughs> just, just lose the Joker shit. Like, let, oh, I man. feel like Parasite did that in another way also, where it's just examining how much lying and, and just BSing can get you ahead and how cutthroat people are in that regard. Uh, They'll slit another person's throat for a managerial position type thing. How about the ladder, though? Like that that ceiling that, you know, a certain class can't pass. And there's a breaking point. Yeah. I I, like that breaking point was 
highly visible. Yeah, yeah. Where you can, you can, you know, it was okay to have so many jobs. It was okay to have so many different things happen throughout your life. But like that one thing that created such a difference between those two classes was a smell. Right. And that's, that's. And like, that was the trigger. Like, and like, that was essentially the trigger. I re- like, I fresh off of watching the movie and I want to examine, there's so much of that movie I want to examine. I, I went back and saw the director's second film, which is Memories of a Murder, which I thought was fire. Please don't spoil this for me. I will not spoil this for you. Um, everybody go watch it if you can find it. Yeah, including me. <laughs> um, but out of everything in that whole film, the thing I want to examine the most is the ending and that smelling bit and how much of that plays a part in the class division and I thought of it as like he was almost insulted in a way. It's just like it, it was his trigger point. Yeah, they, they called him all sorts of names. They, they had all sorts of jobs. He did all such dirty things. But in the, the midst of this, all this stuff day, happening, that that man's reaction to another man's similar smell, yeah, was enough to trigger him. Like enough is enough. But I digress, <laughs> right? I digress off of Parasite, which was a great movie, which I think got what it needed to, what it deserved, I should say. Uh, we had Best Actor for Brad Pitt. Yes. Thank I, God. Um, I, I was happy about that. I, I love that movie. I think Brad Pitt is the reason I love that movie. It's just um, a day in the life of this guy who's very cool and just like the best of, he's like the best friend a man could ask for, basically. Best Actress. Best Actress, Renee Zellweger for Judy. Okay. You saw Judy. I love Renee Zellweger. Um, I feel like she's a leading lady since Bridget Jones Diaries. Great film. I love the entire trilogy. How was the you, film? Glad you, you feel that way. I mean, I'm I, securing my masculinity. I dislike Bridget Jones. Um, also the diary that she wrote. <laughs> no, I, I, I just don't like Renee Zellweger that much, but I did see Judy and it was phenomenal. Phenomenal. The performance, amazing. Uh, just her character transformation too, her appearance in the movie okay. itself was like, crazy and then to watch her perform like fantastic i thought it was amazing what kind of physical thing did she do was it like i mean just like her like like skin differential she's a little bit older because like she was a child star and then she grew up like in the show scene okay so so whatever but i mean for the most part like renee zellweger i didn't see her like commanding a camera like that or a lens like that but she killed it killed it (laughs) we were talking um earlier we were talking about her award speech Oof. Uh <laughs> it wasn't that great. It was talking about Joaquin Phoenix's uh also his acceptance speech wasn't too great. Um but I was kind of just stop talking about Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> right. But we was kind of talking about like the broader kind of like Oscar scene this year also with like, you know, societary films kind of like being at the forefront, but then also a lot of like complaints on Twitter about like Oscar so woke because, you know, Parasite won an award and I wouldn't say complaints. It was more like kudos to Oscars for opening their eyes and seeing other things. That's but, definitely the other half. Um, that, that's that's the the positive half. But the negative half is like you know, foreign film. Parasite got nominated for best foreign film, also best film, and and some people feel like they got two entries to get like the top spot in the awards because foreign film is supposed to be the equivalent of best film in general. Yeah, I, I think it's ignorant to even have best foreign film like at this point. Like, right. The, the, we have the internet. The, the internet is this vast thing that connects everybody no matter where you are. So like realistically, if there's this talk about a movie that's really good, people are going to watch it. And there's so many films already that are part of the Oscar nominations like 1917 that is actually a foreign film despite the fact that, you know, it got such a wide release here in America. 
a lot of people just kind of uh, as as Americans get a little too self centered when it comes to the Oscars. Like, yeah, like they own the Oscars. Like we're doing it out of the U.S., so everything else is international. Like, right? I, I think it's an international committee that is viewing what is put into the Oscars and who's being accepted into the Oscars as actors or scenes or films or cinematographer. Like yeah, I, at this point, it's the UN of movies. So why even worry about international films? It's just, is it a good film? Is it the best film? Then yeah, that's what we're doing. Basically. They don't do, do the best independent uh, short film. No, they don't. It's just independent. It's just the best independent film. Right, right. So like, why would we do that for a movie? Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's a weird thing in Hollywood right now. Like, to be talking about Irishmen and Netflix and kind of like them getting kind of, you know, shafted. pushed to the shafted, pushed yeah. to the side. I feel like Hollywood's figuring out a whole bunch of new stuff with the internet as far as kind of reception, kind of how people are dealing with like figures like Netflix entering the industry, not in a traditional sense. Hollywood has a lot of growing up, growing pains to go through stuff. I, I think they just need to, you know, drop the facade of, you know, there's 10 actors that are nominated when there's realistically a thousand actors that were in great films. Yeah, yeah. So how do you get down to five? Because of their names? Because of how big the films were? Like acting, you, you could have did a short somewhere and just acted your pants off sure. and killed it you know what i'm saying like that shouldn't negate you from being anywhere just because you weren't in the industry for 10 years you know or 20 years or 30 years or brad pitt who has been nominated so many times and hasn't won like <laughs> yeah, yeah. i mean that definitely plays a, a big role in how you do it like and if they break it into a wider spectrum of people who are allowed in i'm pretty sure it puts the pressure on actors who have been in the industry for so long to stay as relevant as they should yes or be as good as they're Said to be not not a rest on your laurels. Yes, type of, yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. Oh well, that's Brad Pitt. You know he acts what? What? <laughs> he was yeah. I mean, like as much as I love him in Once Upon a Time, he was no effort really. He was just being cool guy, which hey. is just Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a there's a lot of scenarios where you know actors get a pass because of their name. Yeah, I mean that that's with any industry, but at the end of the day, acting. And the genre of movies or, or any genre in movies has become so vast with all of these new streaming services, Netflix originals. You got a lot of independent or international uh, series on Netflix that are dubbed over for U.S. to watch. Like, th- there's a lot of good acting in all of these shows and all of these movies. Why aren't they being nominated? So, like you just said, with the Netflix, they should definitely start carrying that stuff in figuring out a way to do it or do like the Olympics. Like, like let's have some brackets. <laughs> let's have some brackets. Like yeah. who makes the first bracket of, you know, what we did was we checked the past two seasons of whatever we were watching and we really like this. So we have this new grouping. So we have like 80 characters or 80 actors in this field. And now we have to start breaking down like their works and how strong they are. Whatever. I, there, there's got to be a way to do it, but we need more people in there. Yeah, for sure. So I think the best thing out of this is all the recognition that Bong Chuho got um, winning for Parasite. There's like HBO spinoff series coming out mm-hmm. that's got um, Mark Ruffalo. He's like doing like a six to five episode thing. And I think it's um, the director of Big Short who's going to like be directing it. And um, Bong Chuho is just like a kind of executive producer type thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering like the trajectory of his like career, where it's going to go now because he's got the, the spotlight is on him. So like his next justifiably justifiably. So I, I want to see where he goes now. Is, is he's going to stick like this independent route? Is he going to go full on Hollywood? Is he going to just like go for the bag? I'm interested to see what's happening. Me too. Me too. Well, anyway, thanks for stopping by. Of course. Catch you next week. Thank you. For the latest in entertainment news, follow Hype Beast on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash entertainment.
Hey, everybody. Ross Dwyer, associate editor of Footwear here. It's all you going to give me? It's all, it's all we got today. Bob is out of town for All-Star Weekend, so I'm holding it down solo. You're doing a good job. So today, what we have is a little thing I like to call Jerry Lorenzo using Reebok as inspiration, correct? Yes, that's what we got going on. Uh, give me some details. So it's a new color of Jerry Lorenzo's Air Fear of God 1, a shoe that I'm sure everyone listening is quite familiar with. But when we first saw it, it was nicknamed the String. And it's sort of a mix of, you know, black and tan tones. Jerry's known to use very earthy palettes. And most people thought, oh, you know, this is sort of a, a mix of two colorways that he's already done, you know, the bone and the black colorway. But it turns out that this shoe and this colorway of the shoe were inspired by Allen Iverson. The color blocking was inspired by the Reebok question, which obviously poses the question of, One's Nike, one's Reebok. You know, they're not under the same umbrella. How is this coming together? The the ultimate betrayal, if you will. <laughs> uh, set tripping to the max. I, I, don't, I don't understand where down the line this made sense, number one. So basically, you have uh, an editorial piece, and the, the piece is inspired by pictures from the original shoe. What was that, though? So what, what it is, is Iverson had this really talented photographer named Gary Land, who nice. was his personal photographer for a while. Gary actually put out a book of images of Allen that he'd collected over the years, a couple, couple of years ago. But Jerry tapped Gary to unintentional rhyme there to essentially recreate some of his most iconic images of Allen Iverson. There's one where they're both getting their hair braided. You know, there's one of them sitting with their children. And the, the strangest one that I'm sure you saw too is it's an image of Allen with tearaway warm-up pants on wearing the answer four. And then Jerry right next to him recreated image of Jerry with some Nike Air Fear of God pants and the Air Fear of God one on. And when I saw that, I was... I wouldn't go as far as to say I was befuddled, but it, it is a little confusing to see two, you know, brands that are competing in the same sphere right next to one another. I mean, befuddled is a good word to use. I'm a little bit more peeved. Okay. If that makes sense. Um, so basically what I'm looking at is Reebok, Adidas, right? And yep. then I'm looking at Nike, who are the closest competitors that there are in the sneaker realm. Yes. And you are pairing your footwear next to that footwear as the inspiration. That that just reads wrong to me, personally. Mm. Uh, I'm sure somewhere down the line it made sense for inspiration, but I, I just don't get it. Sure, because you know everyone loves Allen Iverson. He's been tremendously influential on the world of basketball and of footwear. And it's, you know, easy to see why Jerry Lorenzo loves him. I do, too. So does everyone. Absolutely. You know, but it is it is um, interesting to see an image of an answer for right next to an image of the Air Fear of God one, you know, products from competing brands. And that's just that's not something that we see a lot in today's world of footwear. And I'm not going to lie to you. The answer for looks better than the fear of God. That's what's got me the most confused about the situation is that what you're comparing, you're not superseding it. I mean, I realize it's the shoe of the time now, but mm -hmm. if I didn't know about an answer for before, I do now. Sure. 
And, you know, that's it's interesting you say that Allen Iverson and his Reebok line were what got me into sneakers as a young whippersnapper, you know. So you <laughs> see you see these kind of old models coming back, getting a little more shine. Reebok's really pushing the answer five hard this year. You know, there's ice cream collabs, whatever have you. But if anything, it's just it's a testament to Allen Iverson's influence and impact. And anyone who grew up, you know, watching, loving basketball in the 90s, the early to mid 2000s, that, you know, really strikes a chord for him, even if you can't see the the inspiration right away. Yeah. Speaking of inspiration and uh, <laughs> influencing, if mm-hmm. you will, uh, Ryu Hachimura and Goat just signed a deal. You probably have better details than me. I just know how I feel about it personally. Sure. Uh, Allude to that. So essentially what it is, the Cliff Notes version is that much like Kyle Kuzma, who signed with GOAT in years past and is still under contract with them as well, GOAT is going to provide Rui, who is a Jordan brand athlete, with rare and exclusive Jordans from their archive. So it's interesting that Jordan brand is essentially... Partnering with the resale market, you know, in, in a large way. I hear collusion. That's, that's what I hear. I, 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 collusion everywhere. I have nothing against resellers at all whatsoever. It's part I'm, of the game. Always I'm not has been. mad at that. It is what it is. Like people from the beginning of time have been reselling shoes. But yeah. in retrospect, there are a lot of complaints about, I mean, I have them myself, about sneakers and not being able to obtain shoes and then going right to bots and reseller markets and up in certain places. Now you have a Jordan brand athlete who has access to these shoes. Right. Because he's a Jordan brand athlete, he's now being given them through the resale market to promote for the resale market signed off by Jordan Brand. Sure. I'm I'm highly confused. It's you know, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think kind of if we see Unpack. Yeah. (laughs) Unpack. I like it. See these, you know, marketplace companies that have not really any sort of a physical footprint. You know, they exist almost entirely online. See them kind of moving into this you know, traditional sneaker endorsement market with their untraditional methods. It'll be interesting to see where that moves down the line. And he's a popular young player, you know, rookie with the Washington Wizards, um, first Japanese born player to be selected in the first round of the NBA draft. And he's, you know, part of that Jordan class with Zion, if I'm not mistaken, you know, those were the two rookies they signed from that draft class. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see where they push this and kind of how the line between that retail and that aftermarket world continues to be blurred. So so we also saw the Creator Lab um, with Adidas. I'm not sure what the title of it exactly was, but it had they had three different creators create the IPOs for StockX and Adidas. I don't know if you remember. It was recently also. It was Oh, the, yes. Yes, yes. I, I, it wasn't Creator Lab. It was, it was dubbed something else. But regardless, we're seeing brands kind of bridge this gap of using the resale site mm-hmm. as a source or a place to now market the brand. It's really become normalized. Yes. You know, it's in years past, I, I wouldn't say it was taboo, but the general thought was that, you know, these these brands may have felt some type of way about this this these resale markets. And these kind of deals clearly shows that they don't. Well, I'm hoping that if they're going to be doing things of this nature, working this closely with GOAT and StockX, mm-hmm. maybe the verification process can change slightly where they can get an authentication from the brands. Sure. I mean, listen, if you're going to do it, at least do it with some transparency. Sure. So everybody can see up front. Okay, cool. Listen, we have this Jordan brand. We get a lot of Jordans that go through GOAT. What we're going to do is we're going to add a verification system, almost like Entropy 
that we spoke about last week mm-hmm. with Emily uh, with a little bit more verification because it's coming from Nike and Jordan. Sure. I'm okay sure. with that. I'll, yeah. That, that's fine. We'll we'll see where it goes. You know, these are uncharted waters. So there's a lot of lot of different ways it could go. But I just know as long as I can get my size tens, I'll be okay. Ten and a half. Ten, <laughs> ten and a half. That's me over here. All right. Thanks for stopping by, Ross. Appreciate you as always, Mikey. For the latest in footwear news, you can check out Hypebeast Kicks on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash footwear. My name is Jake. I'm an editor here at Hypebeast. And this week we're talking about the loafers trend. I, I want to clarify real quick about the trend, so to speak, is just because something is quote unquote trending in fashion or happening in fashion doesn't mean we're all discovering this garment for the first time. You know, this is not the first time anyone's ever heard of loafers. It's more that, you know, loafers are kind of coming back in because they represent this bridge between tailoring and streetwear, right? So it's that menswear style, like you said, it reminds you of an older time. It's like mm-hmm. a classic menswear shoe. But it's not as unapproachable as, you know, a derby, an Oxford, double monk strap shoes, you know. So so I may need you to clarify the differences between certain loafers. So like I like classic for me is a penny loafer. That's sure. just a classic style. You put a penny in there. Sometimes you don't put a penny in there. It doesn't make yeah. a difference. It, it makes me envision a different aesthetic. Uh-huh. As opposed to what's happening now, where it's become very trendy to wear loafers. Uh, I believe it was Kiko. Kiko did something with Asics, and it's you know cross strap across the front, but it's still a loafer. Right. Uh, you have an open back, which was the the classic for what five years ago. So yeah, you could say that started kind of with like the the Gucci Prince Town. That's more of a mule. Yeah. Which is still yeah, it, it all kind of comes into the same thing. The main thing about a loafer is it has no laces, mm-hmm. or if it does have laces, they're easy to ignore. Think of like a boat shoe. You could even classify that under a loafer if you're feeling generous. I mean. Super uh, generous. Super generous. <laughs> you got the uh, mule, you got the penny loafer. Like you said, there's beef roll loafers. You even toss moccasins in there, tassel loafer. I mean, these are all, the general idea is something without laces or with negligible laces that just sort of functions as an easy slip-on, low-profile menswear shoe. But the interesting thing that's happening is it's going from being your classy go-to dress-up shoe to being kind of a daily driver. You're seeing a lot more with Dr. Martin's Adrian loafer, especially, which is basically a tassel loafer on like a mini platform. It's not only comfortable, but it has more of a, a substantial silhouette, kind of balances out with more of like the big streetwear stuff, the oversized silhouettes that people like. And it also bridges that gap. People like, you know, they'll wear their dickies, they'll wear their their casual Carhartt pants, but they also might wear like a blazer at the same time. Maybe they'll wear, you know, something a little bit more elevated than I think just a hoodie. I think it gives you the availability to dress up what you're doing. Like the, it, it's versatile. I yeah. will say that because you can do it like you just spoke about. You can do a yeah. pair of dickies with a with a work jacket or yeah. whatever, or you can do it with a suit, or you can do it with sure. slacks. Or yeah, you, yeah. There, there's a lot of different platforms, or you can go like super fast. I saw people wearing like parachute pants almost with loafers. Sure. And I'm like, I don't know if I like that, but there's there's a wide variety of things you can use with the loafer depending on the style of loafer. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm mad at it. You have those different sizes. Like you said, there's that like a smaller loafer, like a slipper, you know, the really low profile and you can wear it with really big pants and get like a real contrast. And that's a look if you want to go for it. That's like a pretty adventurous way to wear it. <laughs> sure. But I mean, you have pretty versatile ways as well. Like look at Noah and how they've been styling loafers and para boots and all these leather shoes for a couple of years now with pretty normal looking chino pants, hoodies, sweaters, and rugby shirts. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be Sunday best, yeah, Sunday yeah. finest. You can just wear clothes with loafers, I'll same way you wear it with sneakers. Mm-hmm. And the thing is like loafers are just versatile. 
And as the runways are getting more dressy, more tailored, that's going to start trickling down over the next few months and years into menswear. So we're going to see all that logo mania from a couple of years ago where everyone had all the logos and the big, crazy Balenciaga Vetmont looks. Those are still going to exist. It's not like a trend happens and all fashion is erased. It's more that you're going to see more casual suiting, more casual shirting kind of working its way into more brands. So, so I think that I've got fashion down to a T, right? Wow. As, as, as a guy who's not like uh, on the runway or watching runway shows or anything like mm-hmm. that, I, I noticed that what happens is it starts on a runway yeah. or with a designer. Right. And then, you know, like you said, like maybe a year later, two years later, it starts to get into like the general public, like basically like feeding out into the yeah. masses. And then once the designers see that it's at the masses, they switch up and do something else. Right. That's what fashion is. So they have to do the extreme opposite of whatever they did last time. So we're seeing more suits appear on a lot of shows. Anything that I've seen like follow-ups on or any kind of read-up on anything is is very suit-driven for men at least. Definitely. So I'm like, okay, all right, well, now we're going to lean into suits and more tailored looks. Now that's going to get into streetwear or whatever you want to call it now. And in the next, I guess, two or three years, we'll see it bounce into something else. That's what right. fashion's always the polar opposite of whatever is mainstream. Yeah, it's a, it's. I mean, it's made up of trends and these fleeting tastes, really fickle. But at the end of the day, what you and I wear it doesn't necessarily change based on what these designers do we don't our whims are not necessarily dictated by these big names these runway shows but it's more about seeing these things happen on the runway and then they become a little bit more approachable it makes a little bit more sense to work these things into your own sense of style it's similar with like the kiko shoes you said it's kind of a sneaker loafer hybrid and this is kind of the middle ground that i'm talking about this is what the loafer represents it's a middle ground in between What's happening on the runway, the trend with with the because they're not just doing loafers on the runway. They're doing yeah. double breasted suits. They're doing derbies. They're doing, you know, a proper leather, leather shoe. Uh, we might not want to do that. But the loafer kind of represents a, a middle ground where we can see that that trend. We can see that uh, that that transition. We can incorporate it into our daily look. We can kind of see how this might work for us and then, you know, decide from there, does this work for us? Maybe we want a sneaker loafer, maybe we want a Something a little dressier, maybe more. Maybe we're just going to stick with sneakers and we'll see what happens. I agree with you 100% on the middle ground for the loafer. I'm curious to see where this ends up fashion-wise. Like, are we going to see it on on Soho streets just walking up and people just I think, yeah. wearing loafers everywhere? Yeah, I think so. And what's what's the age group? What do you think? I mean, the age group, that's the cool thing about the loafer is it's not an old man shoe. Like, you keep you, you mentioned the, uh, the old timiness factor of a leather shoe. Like, you know, you think of... Uh, an Allen Edmonds, you know, your classic approachable menswear brand, these these lower tier brands or more affordable brands, I should say, like Johnson Murphy or like an expensive brand like John Lobb. Those are not the shoes <laughs> that young people want. Mm-hmm. But the loafer is. It's dress up a bull. It's dress down a bull. You can wear it any way you want. I think the age range is from, you know, children to adults. Well, is it Timberland? Timberland and Supreme did a loafer two years ago? Uh, that that loafer collab, I forget. It was like a, it was obviously a chunkier loafer. You mean for them. was it the, the the three eye mock? Was it? Was it the three eye mock? Is that what it was? It looked like a loafer. Might have been a loafer. It, it was something in that family or whatever it was. But obviously, like it's there's room for it in in streetwear, so that's good. Yeah, I think no matter what, this isn't a shoe that we're seeing for the first. I want to reiterate that this is not a shoe we're seeing for the first time. We're just seeing it in a new light. Yeah, it, it's happening because I think people want something different. Maybe someone's tired of wearing loafers every single day or wearing sneakers every single day. They want to mix it up. And we're seeing a little bit more businessmen wearing sneakers. And now I think we're going to see more uh, more people in Soho walking around with leather shoes. Would it? All right. Thanks for stopping by, Jake. Always a pleasure. 
For the latest in fashion and style, follow Hypebeast Style on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash fashion. Hey guys, this is Keith Stiller, our editor at Hypebeast. What is up? Uh, we got disturbing things in the art world this week. We got another destructive incident in contemporary art world. Accidental? And accidental, I'm Maybe. not sure. <laughs> you know, it sounds very presumptuous at this point, but let's give our readers a breakdown. So at Zona Mako, it's this premier art fair in Latin America, which takes place in Mexico City over the course of a weekend that happened last week. Um, there's this art critic by the name of Avelina Lesper, who accidentally destroyed a mixed media work that was valued up to $20,000. Okay, so at first she was getting close to the artwork, you know, just observing the work like any uh, art enthusiast would at the art fair at OMR Gallery's booth. And she uh, was looking at Gabriel Rico, who's this Mexican artist's work. It is this uh, mounted sort of mixed media sculpture that had like tennis balls, a soccer ball, what have you. Feathers um, coming off of it. Yeah, so she puts an empty soda can on the pedestal. Um, and then she proceeds to get closer to the artwork because she wanted to take a, like a photo and also share her negative views of the artwork. And moments later, the pedestal falls, the soda can falls, and then... The artwork just completely shatters and breaks. As a possible direct result of putting the can on the pedestal, a lot of hearsay going on as to what transpired. But the fact that she was so unapologetic after. Very unapologetic. Very shameless, I would say, <laughs> is her, her, her response. She said that it was like the work heard my comment and felt what I thought of it after the artwork was destroyed. <laughs> Sorry, I'll just double dutch in here. I think that's hilarious that she was like, you know what? I don't like this artwork. I'm yeah. going to lean into Like, she cared so little about the artist's artwork that she put her can, empty can of soda, on it to then take a picture. Like, that's crazy. First of all, it's like two points of intrusion here. There's the can on the artwork. There's her getting closer to the artwork. And, you know, the whole... Thing just shattered. Not caring. She no, not care. caring at all. Like I could be like, listen, I, I didn't like the artwork, but I, I, as as an artist, I would hope that nothing would happen to the piece, yeah. whether I like it or not. She was just like, yeah, whatever. You should take a picture of it or you should use the broken pieces as an evolution of the piece. That's what she said Wild. right afterwards. Wild. Yeah. yeah she, she recommended the gallery to, like after she broke it, she was like, hey, you know, why don't you just call it like an evolution of the work like you were saying? Yeah. And then um, the gallery was like, um, no. <laughs> That's not how this works. No. I feel like she was saying like, I'm pretty good at, uh, you know, creating art myself. Yeah, and then she even offered to repair the work after the gallery denied her really weird, kind of like shameless suggestion for the evolution of Let this work. Let me fix it. Like that's, yeah. that's further, you know, talking smack about the artist's work. Like, oh, I'll, I'll fix it for you. Don't worry. Like yeah. everything that happened or transpired after it breaking just made it 10 times worse. Like if it was yeah. accidental, all right, cool. I totally get it. But I don't, maybe it struck a chord with her and she was being malicious. Who knows? But like, there was no point where she was apologetic, nor was she even trying to make things better. Yes. It's crazy. Like, to me, that's that's insane. But to, like, I don't know, not even take blame for it happening and then try to, I don't know. Just, I know. This, this seems very, like, very suspicious on the art critic's part. Like, like I think she just did this from, for some sort of, like, comeuppance, you know, in, to get, like, you know, attention. Some might argue. 
But this is way different from like shock art because the art itself wasn't like any like wasn't as reactionary yeah. as you know the banana that um, was showcased at Peritons booth at Art Basel. You know, two different types of art. This yeah. one is more of a you know a sculpture for um, observation. Has anybody spoke to the artist? They haven't yet. The gallery is. The yeah, gallery yeah, they're, they're, in they're in talks right now about what's happening. I'm just curious if it was something that the artist set up. You think so? I mean, you never know. I mean, look at Banksy at the auction. Yeah. Like he, he you know, knew it was getting sold. And then once it got sold. That's so, true. The, the, the shredding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I'm just trying to figure out if maybe there was like some, some other hidden agenda here. That's why she was so. I, I can't see anyone being that unapologetic without it being. Without knowing it. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? To you to even be like, okay, I did destroy. It. You're an art critic. Yeah. Right? So, like, obviously you've seen hundreds, if not thousands of pieces or works of art for you to know that if something got destroyed, whether you liked it or disliked it, there mm -hmm. should be an apology kind of tour. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it kind of speaks to me on a different level where it's like, is she trying to or was this set up? Yeah. Where, like, now that it's destroyed, it, it's got more buzz. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been following his work. He's a pretty low-key artist, Gabriel Rico. And it doesn't, for me, in my point of view, it doesn't seem like he would do any sort of like shock art, but you never know, you know? Um, but if anything, maybe the critic and the gallery are in cahoots about the destruction of this piece. Insurance Who knows? is a thing. Who knows? A lot, a lot of hearsay out here. We're not There's saying There's a lot of hearsay. It it's not official. Or is not you know? what happened. Just, you know, um, some ideas floating around. But yeah, that was probably one of the biggest points of Zonamako. Apart from that, you know, I think everybody should check into what Zonamako presents annually because they do showcase a lot of very great Latin American artists in the contemporary art world. And yeah. And also stay up to date with Hypebeast Art so that we stay can up see to what's date. going on in the future. Hypebeast Art. Follow Hypebeast Art. Always a pleasure. Thanks for stopping by. All right. Naps on the mic. Naps, Naps on the mic. Happy Valentine's Day. For the latest in art and design news, follow Hypebeast Art on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash art. That's it for the Hype Report. For more updates and to listen to our other shows, go to hypebeast.com forward slash radio. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to leave a comment and let us know what you think about this week's topics. You can reach out to me on Instagram at MikeyDab, and that's two Bs. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in next week. Any comment, opinion, or suggestion made by any person contained in this episode does not represent Hypebeast in any way, and those genuinely are their individual, personal opinion and thoughts towards the topic shared.